is Bloomberg Surveillance. I think commodity producers and the drop in commodity prices is the core story to watch when you think about U.S. exports. Empirical evidence shows that the gold market tends to weaken going into a Fed rate rise, but then rally for the next 120 trading days. If you're a tech investor, your risk-adjusted returns are as good as they get, with the exception of 1996 and 1999. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone, with Markets on the Move. Michael McKee and Tom Keen, Bloomberg Surveillance Worldwide. Good evening in Australia and New Zealand. We say welcome to all on our Bloomberg Digital Network across Southeast Asia. Australia shocks with a rate reduction and a rather cautious view forward. We'll talk to Paul uh, Bloxham of HSBC here uh, in a moment. Futures in negative 14, Dow futures negative 111. Bloomberg surveillance this morning brought to you by Cone Resnick, accounting tax advisory in the affordable housing industry. Your business needs transformative advice from the industry-leading experts. At Cone Resnick, find out why. At ConeResnick.com. Michael, what stands out to you most this morning about the shifts? I mean, stronger yen, stronger year, I get all that. What sticks out to you? A dollar uh, index in general falling, which, as we were talking about earlier on the show, has major implications in both directions for different people around the world. What uh, I think Atul Lele made the point very well, that what is uh, become very obvious is that the dollar is so <clears throat> widely used, entrenched, and so important yeah. to the rest of the world that any kind of movement has major impacts on all kinds of asset classes. Yeah, and I would look at also the grudging drive lower in German yields. They broke lower about an hour ago after being really stoic uh, off of the Australian uh, news. That bears careful watching as well. Right now, we're thrilled to bring all of you on Global Wall Street to the focal point of courage in making a call. This would be the HSBC shop call for lower rates, weaker growth, etc. I sound like the king and I, etc., etc., etc. And I'm going to call it the Steve Major call. Paul Bloxham with us with HSBC Australia and New Zealand. A great day to have you here. What was it like framing the HSBC call when Steve Major and your economics team said, wait a minute, consensus is wrong. Take us back 18 months ago or so. What was that like? Well, this was this happened in the latter part of last year. And, and, and really the call was, I think, around November of last year where you know, the markets were expecting uh, U.S. rates to rise, and Steve was saying, no, 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 they're going to fall, uh, and, uh, and and framing that idea and, you know, capturing it in this idea that we think that Do the U.S. Do you get a call from, be- like, executives who say, wait a minute, you guys, it's un-American? <laughs> I mean, what, 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 what happens in the process of making such the, an outlier the process, call? The process is objective. That's how it's supposed to be. Research makes a call on what they think is going to happen in the economy, and we tell this story. And so... Uh, it's turned out to be the, the right direction, really. U.S. yields going lower rather than going Excuse higher. Excuse me, Mike. A little Australian modesty there. Right direction. <laughs> you nailed it. Okay, let's go with that, Mike. <laughs> what, the, the question is always, though, where did it go? Where does it go from here? Because the U.S. economy seems to be performing well. We'll, I mean, everything relative, uh, and we should get a reasonably good jobs report at the end of the week, and then everybody's going to say, you know, yields are going to rise here. And we have been seeing yields rise here. So what's the bet next? Well, this is it. This is the key challenge. But uh, for, what I, for what it's worth, Steve Major sticking by his one and a half for the end of the year on the U.S. 10-year. So he's still That's a bold view. call because we're at 1.81 this morning Absolutely. Here. It's a bold call. But, the, I mean, the view here is lower. 
lower for longer. That's the way we're thinking about it. We're saying inflation and rates will be lower for longer. And, of course, that has bearings, as you say, across a whole range of markets. Uh, it has an important impl- influence for countries like mine, like Australia, uh, where we're hoping that we get uh, a bit of Aussie dollar weakness to help us rebalance our growth. Well, and we haven't had enough of that. So the RBA has then been forced down the path of having to cut further, as they did this morning. Well, particularly for you, but even for the United States, if, if we're not going to see inflation, then the Bloomberg Commodity Index has got to change direction because it's been getting stronger. Oil prices have got to fall again because they've been going up. And just mathematically, that pushes inflation higher. Now, this is all pretty interconnected, though. The, the weaker U.S. dollar is part of the reason why you've seen commodity prices rise, right? The two are related. So Well, and the dollar keeps falling again today. And that pushes commodity prices up, supports the emerging economies. I mean, one thing you've got to keep in mind, and one of the things I think that's very, very obvious to someone who sits in Sydney and watches the world is, you know, most of global growth is dominated by the emerging economies. China is the single largest contributor to overall global growth now. You know, the, the rest of the world gets some support from this, from this, from this U.S. dollar for a period of, a weaker U.S. dollar for a period of time in terms of lifting commodities, lifting those emerging markets, and that drives global growth. But, of course, it also presents challenges. William Stanley Jevons, I would respectfully say, brought us into kicking and screaming into modern economics. And it's a great story before his graduate degrees of being planted in Sydney, Australia in like 1864, 1865, where he basically figured out at the margin the next. If we get the HSBC call, what's the marginal action that we should expect to see? What's the next if we get to a 150 tenure? Well, I, I mean, I think I think the story here is don't expect inflation to pick up anytime soon. Central banks are going to continue to struggle. Helicopter uh, money? Well, uh, this is this is the risk, right? I mean, the, the question is whether helicopter money does come into play. It does leave central banks. It is it is what you'd think is the next option for central banks. But in, 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 to some degree, I mean, you've got to think a little bit deep, more deeply about what we're talking about with hel- helicopter money. What we're saying is. Instead of the government choosing to spend, which, uh, you know, there are a range of governments across the world that could do more spending given low interest rates, uh, what we're saying is the, the central bank instead prints money and, 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 and it goes directly don't, to, to, to our audience that is concerned and worried, et cetera, the other idea is you clear markets and that you just eliminate leverage. Uh, Charles Weiplatz in Geneva and Paul DeGuard at LSE talking this up. Where is the clearing of debt markets? That comes with your call, doesn't well, it? Well, absolutely. The debt markets are one of the major constraints. I mean, the other way to think about negative rates, and this is something we've been sort of talking about a bit more actively, is negative interest rates, uh, albeit only very slowly, do eat away at the debt that exists, right? I mean, you've got options here. You've got high debt levels. How do you, how do you get rid of high debt levels? Well, one way is to inf- inflate way out of it. So effectively, inflation picks up, reduces the debts every year, but we don't seem to be able to achieve that. So instead, what's happening is rates are falling. In fact, they're falling to zero, and then central banks are going negative. Actually, what that means is when the bonds come up for, for, for they get paid out, effectively, the, 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 the government is actually having to pay out a little bit less than the actual face value of the bond, right? It does actually, negative rates are a consequence of the fact that we've got high debt levels, and it's the market trying to eat away at those debt levels as well. But uh, in the long run, we're dead, as uh, as Kane said. By the time you get around really? to uh, some of those bonds maturing, uh, you may have done so much damage to savers and, and to consumption that it doesn't really matter. Uh, absolutely, I agree. So what we are, what we need is is better policy options. But it's just it's not entirely clear to me that helicopter money is that answer, right? The answer is 
helicopter money is effectively central banks printing money. We've got governments around the world that actually could use that money to build useful infrastructure. They could they could determine that it's better to borrow money and build useful infrastructure than it is to have central banks pouring liquidity into the directly into households and 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 business balance sheets. Well, you've got an election coming up in Australia, and uh, not coincidentally. The Australian government released a new budget today that does increase fiscal spending. Probably one of the few in the world. I mean, you're shaking your head. Okay, it's not much, but I mean, you want to try the United States Congress and uh, and what it's been doing to uh, to the to the fiscal side of the ledger. Um, is that is this the, the first canary in the coal mine here, or the first ones that are going to lead the way? Look, I, I think, I mean, the budget, I don't think, really delivered very much stimulus. It's, it's a lot of rhetoric around the budget being pro-growth and so on, as it ought to be. Uh, but I really think the key thing that the, the, the Australian government is focusing a bit more on, hopefully we'll see a bit more in the lead-up to the election, is an infrastructure program. We do need to build more infrastructure, and, you know, rates are low. Now is the time for governments, uh, particularly the Australian government, to be thinking about, about building a bit more infrastructure, replacing that demand right. that was coming from mining investment previously. I want to come back and talk about the, the trilemma, the impossible trinity that's out there right now. Maurice Obsfeld is now at the IMF, and then on, to, as I mentioned earlier, Charles Whitepots and Michael Berta. The idea is Krugman has said you can't have it all. To me, it seems like central bankers really trying to have it all now. May I assume what gives way is currency. I mean, within, within the trinity, the only way I see out of this is not a currency war, but almost an implosion, strong dollar, weaker currencies. Is that where we're going? It is. It is certainly a challenge, I think, because, you know, the, the adjustments that currencies can make can only go so far. To, to a degree, it's a zero-sum game, right? Uh, you, it's in the sense that, you you know, currency adjustments uh, on one hand, obviously, are bigger than neighbor policy. They, they help one country in terms of supporting competitiveness, but they don't necessarily – but you, you end up costing the, the other economies uh, in terms of their growth. Now, saying that, it is worth keeping in mind that there are – you know, fair value levels for currencies as well. So, you know, if, if currencies get back to where they ought to be, that's probably the best path in terms of supporting growth. The, the yen, Mike, on a weekly chart, is it two standard deviations strong as we speak? That's an exceptionally rare moment on a weekly chart, not a daily chart. It is amazing, the movement. And I might point out, folks, that is a beyond elegant chart. What's your call quickly? Well, you got to come back. we got to come uh, back. Paul Blocks, we'll we could go on and on here. There's so much uh, going on. Futures negative 14, Dow futures negative 113. The euro 115.59, much stronger, oh, two hours ago. This news update brought to you by Bentley University. What do rebooting America's oldest ski shop and crunching numbers at Vistaprint have in common? An MBA from Bentley University that prepares graduates to innovate and lead because businesses everywhere prepare here. Here's Michael Barr with headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Defense Secretary Ash Carter is confirming the combat death of a U.S. service member in Iraq. The defense secretary, who was in Germany, says the killing was in the neighborhood of Erbil, the U.S. Central Command says the death was the result of enemy fire. Today is primary day in Indiana. A win by Donald Trump could bring him very close to the Republican presidential nomination. 
The same is true for Democrat Hillary Clinton and her bid for her nomination. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Uh, Michael, thanks so much. Yields lower this morning. U.S. 10-year in six basis points, 1.82%. Uh, Watching German yields as well, uh, decidedly lower, but not through to record lows yet. With Paul Bloxham of HSBC, this is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning. All right, coming up on Bloomberg Radio, we'll continue our conversation with Paul Bloxham. The Australian dollar, 75 cents right now and falling. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures are lower. Let's go to the first word breaking news desk for today's morning call. And here's Bill Maloney. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Karen. U.S. futures remain under pressure today. Dow futures currently lower by 110 points. S&P's dropped 13. And Nasdaq futures declined by 26. The U.S. 10 yield falls to 1.82%. Overseas, Australia cut rates. Chinese PMI was 49.4. And main European markets are lower, led by 2% Declines in Spain and Italy. After the bell last night, AIG operating EPS missed estimates and tenant health care beat. Some of the earnings highlights today WellCare boosted its forecast, Malincroft boosted 2016 EPS views, Clorox, Pfizer, Vulcan Materials, and CBS all beat, ADM missed, and Cummins beat by nine cents, although missed on revenues. In deal news, Quintiles and IMS to combine in a $23 billion deal. And in other news, Einhorn's Greenlight reported a new stake in Yelp. Finally, some year early Wall Street upgrades and downgrades. Community Health cut to underperform at Bank of America. Visteon cut to equal weight at Barclays. International Paper cut to hold at Jefferies. And United Technologies cut to sector perform at RBC. Live from the first breaking news desk, I'm Bill Maloney. Karen? All right, thanks, Bill. And to your live breaking news over your Bloomberg type Squawk Go on your terminal, that's S-Q-U-A-W-K Go. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Futures negative 14, about where they were lows for the day, but I'm going to call it stable at this time. Uh, Bloomberg Surveillance this morning brought to you worldwide by Invesco. Factor-based strategies can help investors focus on high quality, low volatility, and more. Learn more at Invesco. Dot com slash high conviction. Visiting from Sydney and from Brisbane, the land of the Veronicas, uh, Paul Bloxham joining us with HSBC uh, uh, this morning. He does Australian New Zealand. Um, I'm looking at Australian nominal GDP, which is a sound of animal spirits being sucked out of an economy. What a run rate. The late 90s, a presidential four-year moving average, 4%. And now we're down to 2.7% nominal top-line GDP. In the Australia that you cover, or bring it right over to China or the U.S., how do policymakers jumpstart the animal spirit? Well, the thing about nominal GDP is it's largely being driven by the commodity prices story, right? Commodity prices rose substantially up until their peak of 2011 uh, with a small interruption of the global financial crisis, but that was boosting our incomes every year. It was boosting the government coffers. It was boosting wages. It was boosting corporate profits. And then, of course, since then, we've seen commodity prices fall by 60% in in, in the Australian basket of commodities, at least, since 2011. And, of course, that's been weighing on 
nominal GDP growth. And as you say, nominal GDP growth has been cruising much more slowly. Uh, the government, therefore, has been running deficits to support, that, to support the economy to some degree. Households have been reducing their savings, so they've got less income growth, but they're actually choosing to spend a bit more of it. And then the other thing that's really been helping us out a lot in Australia has been foreign capital inflow. The Aussie dollar coming down has made it more attractive for foreigners to invest in Australia. So we're not just getting support from local income growth, which is what you're talking about, mm -hmm. but we're getting support from foreign wealth uh, pouring into Australia to invest in housing, invest in, 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 in capital and so on. So Australia's continuing to grow through this period because of those various factors that are supporting, are supporting this transition in the face of uh, falling commodity prices. You're doing the transition. The, the, the common theme out of central bankers around the world has been the government's need to reform, need to do things that uh, adjust their economies to the realities of today, and nobody does it, but Australia is doing it. How are they doing it? So, so what, a lot of this is to do with the fact that we did a lot of reforms back in the 80s and the 90s. We floated the currency, and we have a currency that moves a lot, as you guys spend a lot of time talking about, I imagine, but we, we have a lot of institutions so that we can deal with a very volatile currency. Uh, we also have a very flexible labor market, uh, and we have a fairly flexible product market. So what happened? Well, when commodity prices went up a lot <coughs> and the mining sector boomed, Interest rates went up, the Aussie dollar went up, and slowed down everything outside of mining to make way for that mining expansion to happen without excessive inflation, so that at the end, when commodity prices peaked in 2011, the RBA could start cutting aggressively, the Aussie dollar would come down a long way, and growth would shift back towards those non-mining sectors of the economy. Wages growth is So slowed. you had things in place to we, we had to we, we put in place reforms in the 80s and 90s that are still providing payoffs for the economy. Now, the challenge for Australia is we haven't really done very much reform over the past 10 to 15 years. So at some point in time, that benefit you got from the earlier reforms is going to start to wear off, and that's slowing our productivity as well. But we're still in better shape when you, you know, than, than a lot of other uh, developed economies across the world because of those reforms that were put in place. The distances in Southeast Asia are immense. I don't know how long it takes to fly from Sydney to Hong Kong, but it's way longer. Eight hours. Eight, eight, eight hours. hours. Right. It's way longer than Americans think. It's like way more than going to L.A., etc. What's your definition of the new globalization we're going to see? New technology, new transport, new logistics, a new digital world. What does it mean for an Australia that to most Americans is a stereotype of, you know, Neville Shute in a town like Alice? That's baloney. Oh, wow. What's the New, what's the new globalization? Well, uh, you know, there's a great story here. There, there's a famous book in economic history in Australia called The Tyranny of Distance, and it was written about 50 years ago. And the story here was essentially Australia is, has struggled under the tyranny of distance. We're a long way from our markets, and that's constrained our ability to grow as quickly. Well, the way I like to talk about this is actually technology has, a, has meant the, the end of the death of that distance, right? So actually what we're getting now is the power of proximity. We are closer to markets because of technology, but we're also close to the fastest growing part of the global economy. Australia is highly tied into Asia, and the Asian economies are, are the fastest growing ones in the world. China's growth may be slowing down, but we're still talking about China growing at 6.5%, 7%, and even if it slows down a bit from there, it's, it's still running at a much faster rate than the developed world, and Australia is highly tied into that China story. We've benefited from the ramp-up in demand for resources, and now we are trying to shift our economy away from a resources-based story 
to a more services export oriented story. And as I said earlier, uh, one of the key things that you've got to keep in mind that I keep reiterating to people across the world is mining is only 10% of Australia's GDP. Over 70% of our GDP is the services sectors. So you don't need as much of a lift in the services sectors to really keep growth going. I just want to mention, before we let Paul go here, that the Denver Broncos, number two draft choice last week, Adam Gotsis, an Australian who's played more years of Australian rules football than he has of American football. So we're looking forward to learning more about uh, Australian oh, rules football. Aussie rules football program. is a dangerous game, I tell you. It's it's it's, it's called <laughs> aerial ping pong, is what we refer to it. Effectively, okay. it's it's a bit like American football, except you don't wear any of the yeah. pads, right? You just run into each other. Paul, so. this has been fabulous. <laughs> Paul Bloxham with HSBC. I will put out on Twitter shortly Jeff Blaney's classic, "The Tyranny of Distance." Stay with us, Bloomberg Surveillance. Coming up, the With All Due Respect highlight brought to you by Land Rover. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit LandRover, tristate.com, or call 1-800-FIND-4WD for details. Land Rover, above and beyond.